0: You start building this picture of that this right now is not about you. It's about who are you going to bless with the stuff that you're going to do with your life. And so you talk kids into this idea and, and and really kind of unlock their greatness by helping them see that this isn't about you and about me. This is about who else? Who are you going to be a blessing to after you get through this next part of your life?
1: All right, my friends, it's is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project podcast. And today's guest, I'll say, is truly the first of his kind to be on the show. We are joined by educator CJ Reynolds, and he's been a classroom educator for almost 20 years, teaching high school literature and the history of hip hop in West Philadelphia, born and raised. He is the author of Teach Your Class Off, The Real Rap Guide to Teaching, and the creator of The Real Rap with Reynolds' YouTube channel, which I highly recommend you check out. CJ speaks at schools, universities, and conferences all over the United States, and his work focuses on helping schools and their teachers become who they dream of by creating relevant, engaging, meaningful learning experiences that infuse playfulness, wonder, and fun to create classrooms that students actually want to be in. And his mission is to guide teachers on how to lead their classes with respect Boundaries and accountability, so they can continually be the best person for their students and who their students need them to be. CJ, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks
0: for having me, man. This is awesome.
1: I want to call out like the elephant in the room. This is a fitness podcast, and you're not teaching fitness, but you're here. And I think you're here for a reason. And the reason is I want to have a conversation today about education, about what you're seeing boots on the ground with our kids about how to engage kids in learning and self-development journeys from your wide experience. Because I think that like teachers hold this interesting role in society where they're like the secondary layer of parents, if done right. Like I see how your kids interact with you on your YouTube channel. like The bond is like not that of a parent. It's almost like more vulnerable and intimate because they don't have all these... these yeah. It's interesting. And I want to talk about that. And I also want to do a shout out to one of our Fitfather Project members, Michael Wilson, who is a big follower of yours, a big fan. And he's he currently transitioned to being a teacher. So he's the reason we got introduced. So talk to me about like what you see as like the state of education today. Uh, what's going on? What do you see as like problems, opportunities?
0: Let's start there. So, you know, first of all, thanks for having me. I, I realize I don't fit the uh the, the natural feed here, but like, <laughs> I love this stuff. And so it's really, I'm stoked to, to be able to talk about it. When I think about education today, I think there's, there's absolutely an issue with teacher retention, trying to get teachers to come back. Last year, our school lost about 95% of our educators in West Philly. And so wow. on on a level where I'd be teaching class on the first floor and I'd hear a kid go talking to someone else, I go, guys, what are you doing? Can you pay attention? And they're like, someone's carrying a microwave to their car. And you know, that's that's the kiss of death. You're, you're leaving forever if you're carrying a small appliance <laughs> to your car. So we would, it was, I typically spend two periods a day eating lunch with my students on both of my preps, about 30 kids in my room. And last year I had to stop doing that for one period because so many teachers were coming in, like crying, freaking out every single day. So you're trying to help folks to to be great. Um, But that's real hard to do when you don't feel great. So, you know, I think after COVID, there's just a lot of things that we didn't address we went right from like kids learning at home for a year and a half Mm -hmm. to kids coming back in and then not dealing with any of that trauma. We just it was like everyone just tried to pretend like nothing happened and it was going to be business as usual. But for those of us that really do like my class is only what my class can be. Based on the relationships that I have with students and their families. Mm-hmm. And so in those relationships, you get to see that kids need more than is being offered right now. So in a nutshell, that's that's kind of the game. Um, and then it's building those relationships, which leads to creating engaging content, which leads to kids wanting to come to your class and being sad when they're sick. And I mean, and then that leads to relationships. Yeah. Forever. I mean, yeah. I, we went out with a young woman on she came to date night with my wife and I on Friday. Um, and she's 30 now and I taught her as as a young woman. So I mean, and still still hanging out though. That's that's really cool. And so when like let's talk
1: about the COVID transition in, because I think a lot of a lot of parents who are listening to this are going to find that interesting. Did you intentionally like break the ice? Did you help kids like process or talk about things? Did you call it the elephant in the room? Like, we're back. Like, how did you navigate in your own classroom the
0: re-entry to make it smooth? It's it's always the elephant in the room you call out. Anything that's happening in culture, it is not. It is not sort of dictating a conversation, but facilitating a conversation. It's I think it's about giving young folks a safe space to explore and express how they're thinking and feeling and, and reacting to something. So it's just creating that space of, hey, is it, how's anyone feeling about this? Have you noticed this? Is anyone feeling maybe this way? And then letting kids practice active listening, practice empathy, and really feeling out how kids are, are dealing with it. Because you know most of the time, I don't I don't have an answer for half the things my students deal with. I mean, like the year after we came back from COVID, we lost six boys to gun violence in West Philly that year and just from our school.
1: And these are high schoolers. Yeah, high I mean, school, this is uh, high,
0: all high school boys, uh, ninth to 12th grade. And so in those moments, I realized that I don't have that. It's not my advice that means anything. It's my ability to just listen. It's my attention that means everything. So creating these safe spaces and then giving kids your full attention, giving them like the presence of your presence, I tell them it that's where you create that safe space for them to even think they can talk about stuff. Because, you know, they're young. Who, who Teenagers are... They're they're not easy to get along with all the time. And so, like, but by creating that safe space, you can start to build those bonds and you can have those big conversations about what was it like at your house? What is it like now? What's it like to have to wear a mask all day in school? And and you get real answers from kids about that stuff.
1: Now, I have a question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something like, You're a cool teacher. And what I mean by that is I think that I see the way your kids interact with you on YouTube. They look at you as a mix of like someone they look up to, but also you have a way to be like a peer in a sense with them. Like you fit in, like you're in crowd with them, but you're still their guide, their mentor, their confidant, their support. How did you cultivate that? Was that natural for you? Is that a byproduct of being in school and like with high school students in West Philadelphia? Like how did that happen And what lessons
0: can be taken from that? I think a little bit of it is intuitional. You know, ever since I was young, um, I would go places and kids would talk to me, like out of nowhere. Like I'm shopping in the food store and a little boy turns to me and says, like, I love dinosaurs. And then his mom looks at me and I'm like, I swear, I did not not start a (laughs) conversation with your kid. That kind of stuff happens to me when I'm at the playground, even with my own kids when they were little, it happens. But I think it's because, I, one, it is. Mister Rogers used to talk about this idea of I care for you for exactly who you are right now, and without any any like thought that you might be different. I don't. I won't care for you for who I wish you were. Rather, I think that's one thing. And then the other is, I think it's really giving kids attention. I think that um, one of my favorite authors, this guy Oliver Jeffers, says that his dad used to talk about, that was in education for a long time, used to tell him that the first two things you learn in your life are to walk and to talk. And the first two things that we tell kids when they go to school is to sit down and to shut up. And so creating space for kids to talk. And then the the, the kind of magical thing that that any teacher, any adult can do that is having trouble like communicating with young people is, When they tell you about something, one, you have to act like you care. I don't always care. I don't read manga. I don't watch half the movies my kids tell me that they're into. But I am interested in you, so I'm interested in what you're interested. If you want to take it next level, one of the ways that I really build connection is that I go and I watch some of this stuff. Like I've watched, I've played more Fortnite than any 46-year-old man that doesn't live in his mom's basement has ever done. Um, I watch a lot of movies. I check out TV shows. I check out YouTubers. And then I show up the next day and I go, listen, I watched what you told me to watch. And I have seven questions about what we're doing right now. (laughs) And can you imagine, like, when you're young, for someone to have interest in something that you thought was weird, right? Like some animation that I had to buy on YouTube for a dollar that is not in English, that I had to read the subtitles. And my wife comes home and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is for the children. Um, This is why we're doing this. So you, you enter into kids' worlds so that they'll hopefully return the favor and enter into your world of education. And that is what starts to build those bonds over time.
1: Yeah, I mean, what a powerful lesson. And I, I think that parents could probably apply that in, into their own lives too. Do you yeah. have kids, by the way? I do. I have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. So, so we're, we're in the thick of it. You are, right? And those are the same ages of the kids that you teach, like yes. are very similar. So like, how does that, does that concept translate into your own home? And like, where's the, where's the line between what we might call like, tactics for building relationship in the classroom based in real heart and authentic caring. How does that translate to how you relate to
0: your own kids at home? So, I mean, I've always, I mean, I, gosh, that's a great question. And I think it's always just been the same. Like I've been, I've had school kids before I had my own kids. Like I've been teaching long enough, but I think it's been the, like, loving all my kids at home and seeing what their needs are helps me love my students in the classroom in a different way. Um, my son has high-functioning autism, and I was really unsure of what autism actually was uh, when he was born. When he started just developing certain needs and tendencies and th- things of that nature, it helped me see the students in my room in a whole new way, like noticing kids that were just not just students that were on the spectrum, but students that just were um, had learning differences. It helped me to have a level of empathy for students in a different way, and I think you know it's also I think some of this comes from you know similar to you. My so my dad died when I was four. My mom died when she was forty five, mm. and so growing up, um, I didn't have a good male role model. So when mm. I had kids, I decided that. As a teacher, I always wanted to be the teacher that I always wish I had. And as a dad, I always wanted to be the dad that I wish I had as well. So I think those two things have kind of formulated into me becoming having these connections with young people that I do today.
1: Nice. Really powerful. Very blunt question, but it's related. How do you get kids to listen? How do you get your kids to listen? How do you get classroom kids to listen? And maybe even from the underlying context of, if even in the experience of maybe defiant behavior or someone who doesn't necessarily want to listen in this moment,
0: So one, you have to be the example. Um, when I tell my kids I need them to be nice and work hard, I'm nicer than everyone, and I work harder than everybody in my room. And you know, having a YouTube channel is really b- lend itself to that, because yeah. students see that I don't just go home and chill. Like I you know I teach a full day and then I would go home and work till midnight creating content. Um, to the point where kids will come in and say, you looked a little tired in that last video, right? I'm like, well, that's your fault. Uh, So, you know, maybe be cool today. So I, I don't have bags under my eyes. But it is, I see. So I think it's, it's some of that. It's, you know, when we get kids to listen, I think it is also trying to create stuff that's relevant. I don't, I can tell you why for anything I do in class. I can tell you why I don't take late work. I can tell you why you're not allowed to talk when other people are talking, why you can't go to the bathroom right now, why I need you to sit in a certain space or do a certain thing. It is all has a deeper reason as to like learning up and why can't you talk when someone else is talking or talk over me? Because it's really important to be an active listener. It's really important to collect as much data as possible so that when you do respond, you do so thoughtfully. That I want you to know that your voice, your opinion, your, you have power in that, but I want you to be able to wield that weapon wisely. So it's taking these deeper levels yeah. of why we need young people to do anything, and not because it's on the test, because you'll need this when you're older, because something like that doesn't work. And then for kids that don't want to listen, it's really it's connecting. and I've, I've heard you talk about this too, with regards to, to health and fitness. It's having a why. Mm -hmm. So a kid who has never done well in school has maybe been failed by the school system because they have a learning difference or a learning disability that's maybe undiagnosed or there's not the resources there. To get a kid to want to dig in because school's important, because I said so, good luck. Yeah. But if you can get a young person who has had a really hard upbringing, but you find out that they have a little brother or sister Mm -hmm. And you can convince them that by doing well in school, I'm going to tell you that what you're going to do is create a life for yourself. That when you get older, when you're even in college or out of college and you're making more than you would make like full-time minimum wage, now we're talking about opportunity. Now we're talking about creating a space Having an apartment with an extra bedroom so that your sister or your brother can come stay with you. And they have clean sheets and you can get them a haircut every single two weeks or every month. You can take them out. Um, You can buy them Christmas presents. You start building this picture of that. This right now is not about you. Your hate for algebra or English literature is not about you. It's about who are you going to bless with the stuff that you're going to do with your life? And so you talk kids into this idea and, and, and really kind of unlock their greatness by helping yeah. them to see that this isn't about you and about me. This is about who else? Who are you going to be a blessing to after you get through this next part of your life? And that works wonders, that conversation right there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I got chills when you said that. And I'm, I'm sure some of the people listening did as well especially because as they reflect and you don't know the exact backstory and context of this but when people join our programs officially the first thing they do is they fill out like a journaling reflection mission statement before nutrition plan before exercise because they're trying to dive in and find that deep why which is this emotive capacity that we have to relate to our life in a fullest way possible and it doesn't matter what the reasons are it just matters that we have them and it's I, I think now it's just looking through the lens of knowing that each one of your students, especially someone who's struggling and lashing out from some degree of pain in that hurt absolutely has the converse, like that light that they want to do. They want something different for their, for their younger sister or brother and like powerful. I want to talk about expectations. This is something that you talk a lot about in some of your YouTube videos, which again, I recommend if someone's not even interested in being a teacher, like check out this channel and subscribe because there's like life wisdom wrapped into this, like this teaching motif. But anyways, expectations, you do them in your classroom because it helps you set a tone for how things are. It's kind of like culture. Can you speak into expectations a little bit first in, in your classroom and then also at
0: home? So I think in my classroom, I want more than anything. For kids to live the life that they dream of living, like that is my absolute goal. So, if I have a kid that's mad at me, if I have a mom that comes in and they are livid about anything, the first thing I do to start that conversation before I even listen to someone, I say right be- before we even get started, I just want you to know that your child's success is the only thing that I care about, and that everything I do is geared towards helping to unlock that greatness that already exists inside your kid, and so. Then it becomes real hard for any parent to get mad at you because they're just like, well, that, you know, if that's true, like, what now? So, having those kind of conversations with students works as well that, like, every expectation I have of you in class, this expectation of excellence, this expectation of you doing, of showing empathy, of you showing sympathy, of you having grace for people, of you working really, really hard, harder than you've ever worked in your life. Only comes because I know as an adult what the world expects of you, and so and and that's and that's me like growing up as like a forty six year old white guy that came from the suburbs like that I know what was expected of me, and so I look at my boys and I know I talk to them about like black males have the lowest graduation rate of anyone in the country, right and so the my students are about ninety nine percent african American male, and so it's having these real conversations with kids to really understand like what's out there, not trying to scare anyone, not trying to use like scare tactics or freak kids out, but really just understanding what's out there and what's coming up. And and we can do this with all students, right? You don't have to like always paint the picture of who you are and how the world sees you necessarily, but it is really understanding that everything we're doing is so that you can be the best version of yourself and live the ultimate dream that you want to live. And I think at home, it's no different. Um, I'm a little bit more of a pushover at home, uh, with my daughter, which I realize is really stereotypical, but gosh, she's just, she's wonderful. Um, I'm a little bit tougher with my son, but I also just love my kids. And I, and I tell them like, look, I'm going to do things sometimes that don't seem fun. It doesn't seem like super fun version of dad that, that usually exists, but it's cause I know what's out there. And because I know that everything you ever want in your life is on the other side of hard work, yeah. every single thing. So setting expectations so that students understand that and they can begin to practice that is what I want to do for all the young people that I'm surrounded by.
1: Yeah. And so so that beautiful answer and my segue into my next question is you talk a lot in, in a lot of your videos and it's in your book as well about creating a space or a home yeah. where kids feel safe to try. Yeah. What are the conditions that create that environment where someone is in a growth mindset or they feel like they can stretch and push or it's okay? Like, how do you
0: create an environment where kids feel safe to try at home or in your classroom? So one, it's, I have to show that I'm trying. I try stuff all the time. I have done, you know, even in regards to fitness and health, it is, you know, I just, a lot of times I just listen to my wife, man. And uh, my wife will say, we should try a juice cleanse. And I go, let's do it and then it was horrible. And my students see me coming in. I'm cranky for three days because I'm drinking asparagus. Uh, and, or I'm running every day. I ran in 2019. I run, I ran every day for that year. Nice. And, uh, that, and I kept alive on online. And so I did that for 403 days in a row. My students watched me and, uh, but then after that, I tried to do another challenge, and it didn't last. And they're like, "Yo, right, what happened with the uh, with the pull up <laughs> thing you were doing?" Listen, listen, we're not <laughs> not talking about the pull up thing I tried to do. But it is it's being having the audacity, the the courage to fail in front of young people, yeah. so that they can see that you know, are we taking L's or are we turning them into lessons? Mm-hmm. And when we build that culture of trying, and like, did you fail? Great though, right? Because there is some lame fails like. You know, I talked, my daughter yesterday fell off her bike and, but it was a pretty great fall, right? It wasn't like some kind of lame, like you just, oops, like like I was putting the kickstand down wrong or something. It was like pretty good. And then she had some pretty good wounds today. And that made her smile because it's like, how are we doing this? Right? So I think if we can build this culture of courage to fail, to try stuff, to have an epic fail. That is, that's something because Mm -hmm. otherwise you're just going to play it safe, but it's really building in young people, this muscle, um, just like we have to build, right. To look at what didn't work and to figure out like, how can I make this better? How can I try again? What else can I do? And so, you know, after my pull-up thing didn't work, I've started a number of other things that did work. And, and that was what we talked about in class instead.
1: Hey, it's Dr. Ray. I want to quickly pause this episode to thank you for listening to this Fit Father podcast. I am just blown away at how amazing this podcast has become. I had no idea when I started FFP around 10 years ago that it would grow into such an impactful mission. And I want to let you know that I am so grateful to be connected to you in this lifetime. And on behalf of me and my entire team, we are so grateful to be in your life, helping you get and stay healthier for your family. That's what I want to share. Just some gratitude from my heart to yours. Let's get back to today's episode. You know, I think it's so clear, not just like the words you're saying, but like, how you show up, like in your energy, it's apparent to me that you are so full of life. and I'm, I can't help but think that your deep desire to help every single one of your students and your own very own kids at home succeed. And knowing that to do that, you need to go out there and push yourself grow. Like they're helping you as, in yes. many ways as much as you're helping them, just by creating a leadership relationship where you get to show up big. Because I know someone's listening to this right now, and they're not playing nearly as big on this like fun openness dimension that you are. And I think we could all benefit from just doing a little more fun stuff. You may not have a classroom, but like maybe do some fun challenges with your kids. It seems like a great way to
0: live life. Absolutely. I mean, and it, it, it is simple, right? So we talk about it uh, when I give talks. I talk about sprinkling magic, right? Yeah. You're not like dousing people with magic. We still have to learn vocabulary, and we read books, and we do writing, and we essays, and all that stuff, but can you just do something that's a little bit more fun when you're reading the end of Lord of the Flies? Could you play music over top of it? Right <laughs> for, you know, spoiler yeah. alert, right before Piggy gets killed. It is it makes it more epic. Can you do instead of just reading ghost stories? Can you go in this creepy? You know, we're West Philly. We have creepy basements. All the basements look like, you know, silence. Yeah, of the land. So it's like, <laughs> let's go like get battery powered candles and read ghost stories in the basement instead. So it's not always doing things. Doing more, it's just doing things a little bit different sure. than you normally do, and like that's just like a little extra effort, like that doesn't change
1: the base of what you're doing, but it just makes it magical. And like it's a sprinkle, it's it's like so good. And I feel like we could also probably apply that to our primary partners and relationships too. For those of us that have have a marriage and stuff like that, that probably seems like that's good advice as well.
0: Yeah, and those little things go a long way. I mean, like I just so let me like real quick, right? For all the married folks out there. Um, about a year and a half ago, I started making my wife coffee in the morning, right? Not a big deal. Everybody makes coffee and most people make coffee, right? So, but it's not just about making coffee. It's how you set up the cup. Did you put a spoon out? Is there a little thing with cream in it? Could you write a note? Right. And so like, I yeah. make this little setup every day for my wife. It's not like extravagant, but I clear off the counter in case there's stuff on there from the night before and just make it this little like quick act of love. That's the first thing she sees when she comes downstairs. Yeah. And it's not all world, but it is. It's a step in in the direction of I see you and I care for you and I'm thankful. And and those little tiny things add up over time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm f- for sure. I'm inspired. I mean, I know I have a lot of room from this conversation that I want to like grow into and do better with my family immediately. And I guess it's like teachers. You're thinking about lesson plans. You're thinking about what I need to teach, how I how I want to deliver it, how it's going to land. And I think for many of us who are just like at home with our families, if we even took a fraction of that intentionality and like brought that in home, like it'd be so much better. Because it's like, it's not just about like you said, you, you said this, it's not just about like what people are saying or what we're hearing. It's like how these things make us feel. And yeah. I guess that's the magic, right? The feeling
0: underneath it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to be like a little bit happier or have a spouse that's a little bit happier with you or or kids that like my teenagers and I get along really well, but it's, 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 you got to give a little bit to kind of get some of that stuff back too.
1: Nice. All right. So I want to transition into like the back part of our conversation. And like, I guess I want to talk a little about like the future, as well as a couple uncomfortable questions that I think you're going to be able to field really well. You're in a unique position in West Philadelphia, teaching, you said, like 99% African-American boys. What's the state right now with your perception on the ground with racism in the United States? How do your boys feel right now? Do they feel supported? Do they feel like this world is out against them? And what's your general take? You know, being a white male mentor to a lot of black inner city kids is a unique position that not everyone's in. And I'd love to hear your experience
0: with all that. So... I think, you know, when I talk to my students about this, so it's only it's only a weird conversation if you don't have it. So like when the Black Lives Matter movement was really in full effect and it was like taking over social media, it was on the news all the time. um, I had a lot of teachers reach out to me and they said like, "Are you talking to your students about this?" or "How are you talking to your students about this?" Which I can completely empathize with. But the fact of the matter is, is that we were talking about this long before any of this hit the news, anyway, and so. When school shootings um come up, it's something we've already talked about. So the, a lot of these kind of like big issues, when you they when you are willing to have difficult conversations, to step into uncomfortable spaces with students, one, you're showing them that I'm not afraid. Like mm-hmm. I care so much about wanting you to succeed that I'll talk about anything. Uh, like not nothing is is off limits here. And so That, I realize not every teacher feels safe. Not every teacher maybe is the type of teacher or feels like their school would support something like that. That's a different conversation. But with my guys, it's something we talk about all the time. When we talk about racism, you know, it's so funny to me and and not funny, haha, but funny, interesting that my students would tell you that they do not often encounter racism. But a lot of that is, you know, Philly's a pretty... It's a pretty dangerous place in a lot of respects with like my boys don't leave their block. So if you grow up on 54th Street, you don't go to 55th Street because you you don't know what's going on over there and you don't know who's at battle or who talked to whose girlfriend or whatever. So you basically stay like on your block. When we go on trips to Center City, to South Philly, to, you know, different spots in, in the city to go experience stuff. My students, it never ceases to amaze me how blown away they are at what else Philadelphia has for them. So, but, you know, in light of everything that's kind of happened, and especially when I have boys that go away to school, so I'll have someone that grew up in West Philadelphia, never left the city, and now they're in school in Atlanta. And there's a lot of difference down there. Or they go to classrooms where they are now, they are the minority in the classroom. And they're in in a room with a lot of like, white or Asian faces, it's finding out how to navigate those spaces. And those are phone calls that I get. So yeah. I think, you know, the thing I think is the most concerning, though, is this idea of like, we do have a lot of white teachers in my school. Um, and it's like, It's this kind of why are you there and are you going to stick around kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. You know, a lot of folks come in for two years and then they like got a taste and they're good and now they're going to, you know, write a book and they left. Yeah. Um, But it's create, I think, to create these safe spaces to be able to have these conversations, you got to stick around. Um, So I think I had a little bit away from your question. No, it's good. uh,
1: It's good. I mean, it, it comes down to consistency and that builds trust is like, just to point on the last thing you said, Yeah. I mean, you've been in the pocket with these guys for a long time and that and reputation comes from that. And it's something that is earned and it makes you, I think, a a really unique confidant for them. And it's so cool that you can help your kids even past your classroom, navigate it if they go on to college, et cetera. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it's a total, it's a gift. It's a gift. Next direction. I don't know if you played around with this, but like you know the new headlines you know blm is not the headlines but like artificial intelligence kind of stuff is you know chat gpt and all these different language model learning things are around the corner and like for those that are not familiar basically there's like open source website tools you can go on right now and type in prompts and say tell me the you know tell me xyz about anything tell me the the first 50 baseball players of all time or please write me a poem or an essay about the lord of the flies and it will crank you out some stuff um has have you seen that in the classroom is this something you're thinking about and talking about
0: yeah i get teachers all the time that hit me up about this absolutely and i think it's like it's not going away right so so you really have to i think embrace it and use it as a tool there's you know uh, when i look at the type of essay if you were to say give me a character analysis on ralph from lord of the flies i mean They're kind of basic. I've used them for my own business. I've used them to write copy for me, to write sales copy, to come up with descriptions for videos, top 10 video titles for uh, a YouTube video on this.
1: Yeah.
0: And what I talk to young people about and teachers about is like, what if this was the jumping off point? What if this was kind of like the base model of what we're going for here? And I think if we want students to, to go past that, uh, It is really trying to get kids excited about the idea of excellence. Yeah. So ChatGPT doesn't provide excellence. It is a great tool, but it's like, I heard a podcast recently with this guy, Kevin Kelly, who started Wired Magazine, and he described it as, it's kind of like a pocket knife. Every pocket knife has good, like there are tools in there that you can use, but it's not the best screwdriver. It's not the best knife. It's not the best toothpick you ever used in your life, right? Right. But in a pinch, it works. So I want my students to get excited about excellence because I don't want them to have the most okayest life that anyone ever had. I want them to have a life that they dream about. And so okay work doesn't lead to excellence. Mm -hmm. Excellent work leads to excellence. And so I think it comes down to having some conversations with young people about things like that.
1: Yeah, that's a really good answer. You know, and I actually, I, I saw a YouTube video the other day about how, these tools can be used to even just help teach us. So for example, like one of the, and I I used it, I want to learn about electrical engineering, just kind of been something I've been interested in. So I typed in the prompt, like using the Pareto principle, stating that, you know, 20% of the stuff you're going to learn gives you 80% of the results. Teach me everything I should know about electrical circuits. And it comes up with like a, basically a lesson plan outline. And then you can dig deeper into these types of things and then you can learn some stuff. So I like it, embracing it's not going away. It's a tool, but the underlying culture of excellence, that everything we do is ultimately a reflection of our personal virtues and values, which we're going to carry with us far past the classroom, and then that, it ends up determining the quality of life we have. Yeah. That can be sunk into kids. That's massive. Yes. Nice. All right. What about food and food and nutrition in the classrooms? Like, what are you seeing? Are there a lot of unhealthy kids in your school? And like, and and like, what have you seen any change over the number of years that you've been an educator? Are kids getting less healthy as they're on phones and in sugar, or not necessarily? Like, what do you see on the ground, or what do you hear from from teachers?
0: So, I mean, you would probably know more about this than I would, but uh, when we look at the what. Uh, so my students are completely free and reduced, free, free not, not even reduced, this is free breakfast and lunch at school. The quality of school, of food that we serve children, and then the lies that we tell them about it, so that we tell them that pizza on Friday is okay because it has tomato sauce on it and that's basically a vegetable. Bro, what are we even talking about, right? right. when When free breakfast is a Pop-Tart and apple juice and then we're like, they were spazzing for the first 45 minutes of class. And now my man's knocked out on the, in the back. It's like, of course he was. He just had like the most insane spike. And so I think that students just don't know enough truth around food. So what they think is healthy is it's all natural. Yeah. uh, it, It's fruit juice Reynolds. Yeah. It's fruit. It's basically, I'm basically drinking fruit, except right. you're not. And so- you know, I think that that's a conversation to have with young people. And and again, it goes back to being the example. It goes back to showing kids, well, what are you eating, Mr. Reynolds? And why are you eating that? And why would you ever drink that situation that you're drinking right now? Uh, it is starting to have those conversations because I think most of my students, I would say, are unhealthy. Most of my students couldn't run a mile. They couldn't do 20 push-ups, And it is, it, it, it's, you know, and it comes back to excellence again, right? It is, you can't do awesome work when you don't feel awesome. Yeah. So when you have conversations about kids where they're like, well, why wouldn't you eat, just eat like a donut for breakfast or like a bacon, egg and cheese, like on a giant roll, because I will feel like I'm going to die an hour later. And and here's why, like, let me talk to you about what's happening with that. But, you know, again, in, in schools, like in the district that I teach in, it's way cheaper to get, yeah. you know, four bags of chips and a soda on your way to school that you can get for a couple bucks. And it's way more expensive to get like bacon and eggs or sure. or something that would just be at least real food. And, you know, and health classes don't help with that sort of things. They kind of perpetuate the myth that this cereal is indeed part of a complete breakfast. For
1: sure. So I mean, that seems like a massive area of improvement. Like I, yeah. I feel called to help it in some way. And I don't know, but like, it's tough because The school is driven by economics and providing the food that actually fits budget. And the kids are kind of at the whim of whatever is at home, plus what's at school. And then that just becomes the normal. And then there's also a normalization bias where everyone's doing the same thing. And so it's kind of becomes a whole big mess that unfortunately we need to dig out later. I guess there's the benefit of at least the kids on the on the Instagram or whatever they're hanging out on TikTok are seeing like a fitness culture around the corner as like, and, and people are kind of fitness has now become cool for young people, or at least the idea of yep. like being in really good shape. So maybe that's some kind of motivational factor to look good for the other sex
0: yeah. or to do whatever. But it's the work that goes into that, right? Yeah. It's like Instagram looks at like, I could watch you work out and do like the, here's what to do in seven minutes in the morning. I'm like, bro, I could do that. Then I do it. I'm like, this is horrible. And I never want to do it again. (laughs) But I would argue though, right, real quick that by you creating the content that you're creating, those are the folks, right? Forties and up that are buying the food for the house that are changing the diet that are showing by example that I'm going to go walk out. I'm going to run. I'm going to exercise. That is by being the example, even yeah. if your kids don't want to do it, you're planting that seed yep. that hopefully is going to at least empower them with the knowledge. They can make the decision, but they at least know fact from fiction when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to health and wellness and what it looks like to put in like abs don't just show up, man. You <laughs> got to like, you got to work for them.
1: Yeah. Well said. I think it's like that, that dynamic as parents. It's things you can control versus things you can't control. And planting seeds seems like a perfect analogy, right? You're just putting things into soil and understanding that this is not your life, this is your kid's life, yet I'm cultivating. And whatever grows is gonna be a byproduct of a little bit of my effort and a lot of bit of their effort, and it's a team effort. Cool. I wanna talk about cell phones. And I guess like, as you've seen with your kids, you know, it's interesting. We have these like basically supercomputers in the palm of our hands. There's a lot of information. There's also a lot of distraction. And it's definitely Mm -hmm. changing us without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, if we took kids from the 1970s in school to kids today, vastly different. I think the main difference is probably the fact that we have these computers, phone things all the time. What are you seeing and what is your take on like phones tech with kids? How can parents help their families navigate it better? What kind of boundaries do you set with your children? What do you suggest with kids? And just generally, let's talk about phones and the future of our kids and how it all interplays.
0: So I think there's this misconception, you know. Uh, the profitability, Joel said that the good old days weren't always good, and tomorrow's not as bad as it seems. Yeah. And so when I think about that, it's not that when I grew up in the '80s and I was in a store with my mom, I was just kicking it, talking to other people. My mom wasn't just talking to other shoppers that were in there and not on her phone, right? This didn't happen. I wasn't helping my mom shop. <laughs> I was being kind of a ouch, right? Mm. And so I think that. I, although I think there's a time and place, um, I think cell phones are a great tool. I mean, I use it as a tool for my business, and I don't know what I would do if I I could not run the business I do yeah. without a phone. And so, it, and if we teach young people that it's a tool and mm-hmm. what this tool could be used for, the power that it wields, right? Even when it comes to social media, social media can be incredibly damaging. It can be a incredibly dangerous place for young people, or There are tons of folks that I follow online that it is like, you know, the good news feed on Instagram that just fills me with joy or makes, gives me great ideas or my daughter starting um, Etsy shops because she loves creating art. Nice. Can we look at how we're as this thing as a tool? And then at home, look, it is, it's an addiction, right? It's an addiction for all of us. Mm -hmm. So we just have certain rules in certain spaces, right? So if we are all, watching a movie together, watching TV together, no one's supposed to be on their phone, right? If you have to put it on the footstool or put it up on the piano, like face down, then do it. But we are all agreeing that this is that time. We all agree that in the car, you're not on your phone unless we're going somewhere far. But like, let's just hang out for a little bit. We all love each other. So like, let's just have these conversations and be silly and sing songs or whatever. And, but we build in time for tech to be a thing, right? But we've also built a culture where my kids ask, hey, can we go on, they say, can we go on tech or can I play a video game with my friends? And their friends even know that like, you know, the Reynolds are a little weird. And so no, it's one o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. Like, I don't want you playing Fortnite yet. And so it's building that. Um, And I would even say to parents, maybe try like engaging with your kids on some of those platforms. You know. we have Oculus in the house. It is great fun to do to do some Oculus stuff with your kids. It's great fun to play video games with your kids. Even if you're not that good, it just kind of blows them away that like, oh, yeah. like yo, is your dad really on Fortnite? Yes. And I'm kind of good by this point. So that's some of it too. And then in school, same conversations. It's you can't be on your phone right now because we are going, because your your dream wants you to be there. Your phone is trying to pull you away from that. Are you can let your phone take you away from that because you're looking at like someone else being awesome. Stop looking at other people being awesome and yeah. figure out how you're going to be awesome. Yeah. So it's really having those conversations with kids so that they understand. And even some of the neuroscience behind that, like yeah. why, what is the addiction? What is dopamine? What mm-hmm. is, you know, looking at some of that stuff so that kids understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And then it's not just you telling them what to do. It's you empowering them to make the decision that's ultimately, best for them in the long run.
1: Man, it seems like the the line between being perceived as a dictator that's just spouting off like, no, 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 restriction, restriction, and telling someone and giving them context of how this connects with their life, some of the background information, and then leading them to a feeling of empowering in their choosing. Like that line is like, it's just a couple crucial conversations, a couple ideas and just creating this frame seems so important because it is a tool, it is powerful. And um, I that was really well said. I'm, I'm very happy that you got to share that. And so we're basically at the end of this combo. I think we've covered like a good amount in these 40 minutes and I'm like really grateful. This was like so cool uh, that we got to have you on here. And I'd love for people to know more about where they can find you. Obviously, shout out to the YouTube channel, Real Wrap with Reynolds, like check that out and your book, Teach Your Class Off. Uh, which is awesome. Just tell us about some of your stuff and where people connect more.
0: Yeah, so look, we're just trying to help teachers be the teachers that they always dreamed of being. And so if you type in CJ Reynolds into Google, if you just type in Reynolds, you get Ryan. Uh, but if you type in CJ Reynolds, <laughs> you, you will get me. Uh, right at Real Wrap with Reynolds, uh, dot com is a great space to find everything from the book to mentoring to workshops we do and everything else that we're just trying to do to kind of make teaching uh, fun to bring wonder and magic back into your classroom for you and for your students. Man, thank you for your time, CJ. This was really fun. Very informative. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for having me, man. Thanks for the work you're doing. It's it's really good work. And I've been I've been checking. I've told you, went down the rabbit hole and I really appreciate what you're doing.
1: You're welcome. Thanks. Peace. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fit Father Project Podcast. If you love what you heard, please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread this show to more men who need this valuable info. To watch full video episodes of this podcast and other motivational videos to inspire your training and more, visit our Fit Father Project YouTube channel. It's free and everything's made for busy guys over 40 like you. Visit youtube.com forward slash Fit Father Project to get access to our entire video library. And finally,